to, to know what those things are. In fact, the scripture tells us that in terms of the events of the last days, what he says is, if any man has this hope in him, he, what's the next word? He purifies himself. And what all of this really ought to be doing in all of us is it ought to, the more we see all of these things coming to pass and see the things that are about to come to pass, it ought to have that kind of effect on us, and, and I believe in many cases it has. But we've made our way now to Revelation chapter 20, and in the first ten verses of this chapter, it's all about the millennium. Now, it's important maybe that uh, some of you understand that the word millennium is not actually a Bible word. You can't go anywhere in the Bible and find the word millennium, and yet the concept of the millennium is what the entire Bible is pointing to. Millennium comes from two words, milli, meaning a thousand, and annum, meaning year, thousand years. And in this passage, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, I believe it is, you find that term, 1,000, show up six times. This is all about that 1,000-year period that we saw last week is is a 1,000-year, actually, a 1,000-year honeymoon that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, shares with His bride. And that bride, of course, is who, y'all? It's the church. It's, it's us. You know, we can go to Hebrews chapter 4 and find out that what this time period actually is is it's a thousand years of rest on this planet. We could go to the book of Isaiah chapter 11 and find out that it's a thousand years of peace. We could go to Isaiah chapter 26 and find out that it's a thousand years of righteousness. We could go to Psalm 66 and find out that it's a thousand years of the entire earth worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go to Acts chapter 3 and find out that it is the time of restitution of all the times of refreshing. And the reason for that is because it is the time that the Lord Jesus Christ finally gets the glory that he deserves. And that's one of the key results that you see on your study sheet there if you've not figured out where we are yet. Number one, one of the key results of what will take place in this time, and it's important for you to realize that in Revelation chapter 20, as he begins to talk about this thousand-year period, and again, remember that the whole Bible is pointing to that time when the Lord Jesus Christ finally gets the glory that he deserves. And what is so interesting, as God comes to the place to where he actually peels off the place to give us the teaching about this 1,000-year period, the emphasis in the passage is actually on the binding of Satan. Look in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And, and look in verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And again, what is wild is here is the time 
when the Lord Jesus Christ is finally going to get the glory that he deserves, and the emphasis of the passage is that time when Satan is bound. That's what God keeps trying to remind us, and that's the second result of this binding of Satan, is not only will the Lord Jesus Christ finally get what, get what he deserves, but the devil will finally get what he deserves as well. And yes, God is all about his son getting the glory, but he's also all about Satan finally get what is due him. And as we began to talk about this period of time last week, once what we began to see is that once Satan is bound... The millennium is going to be marked by two key characteristics. And again, this is on your study sheet. Number one, the earth will be inhabited by the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The earth will be inhabited by the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out, guys. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is is seated on a throne in heaven. What this time is all about, what the millennium is all about, is the Lord Jesus Christ is literally present on this earth in His manifested presence right before our very eyes in the fullness of His glory. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 says that the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, listen, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And at that time, during the millennium, for the first time in 6,000 years, the Lord Jesus Christ is finally going to get what He deserves to get on planet Earth. But not until He sets up that kingdom. But number two, the second characteristic, is that the earth shall be filled, according to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The entire earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The entire earth, y'all, is going to know the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to, to maybe to, to understand a little bit of the oomph behind that. Understand that right now on this planet, we are clueless of that very thing. We don't have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We're clueless of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So, what Revelation chapter 20 tells us is there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is finally going to get what He deserves. And that's going to happen when Satan is finally bound. And God has the power to bind him, to cast him into that bottomless pit, to shut him up, to lock the door, and to seal it for a thousand years. And the question that we asked ourselves last week is that if God does, in fact, have that power, and if this is the time that the Lord Jesus Christ is finally going to receive the glory that he deserves, then why doesn't God just go ahead and lock up Satan now? I mean, that's a a very, very fair question. If he's got the power... And he can do it any time that he jolly well pleases. Why doesn't he just go ahead and do it? And what's more, why didn't he go ahead and do it at least 2,000 years ago before it cost him the life of his only begotten son 
not to mention the life of over 50 million martyrs down through the centuries in the last 2,000 years. And we took most of the time last week to try to answer that. And we found out there is a very clear answer from the Word of God. And that is that God's plan for receiving glory now isn't in removing Satan. That's the way that he's going to be glorified in the millennium. But God just hasn't chosen in his sovereignty for that to be the way that he receives glory now. It isn't through removing Satan. It is in rescuing sinners. Sinners like me and you. You see, the earth, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, this earth is Satan's domain because of sin, and he is the God of this world. And listen, every single day, every single minute of every single day, every single second of every single minute of every single day that goes by, you know what God's in the business of doing right now? Glorifying himself by graciously plucking lost sinners out of Satan's family and putting them into his, right in Satan's dirty, stinking face. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says it this way, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He's getting a kingdom ready to be glor- so that he could be glorified in that thousand year period. But right now, the way that he is glorified is just in doing that. Just in yanking us out of the clutches of Satan and putting us in God's royal family that when we will rule and reign with him. That's how God has determined to give his son glory now. But not just that. There are also two key things that God wants to do in the lives of these rescued sinners that we were just talking about. Now remember, we just talked about, you can see it up in the second point on your, on your study sheet there. We talked about the two characteristics of the millennium. And those two characteristics are the earth is going to be inhabited by the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And listen now, you know what God wants to do in the lives right now to receive glory from all of these rescued sinners? Number one, He wants to manifest His presence in the earth in them. You know what? It really is no different. It's just a different face of it. He wants to manifest His presence in the earth in rescued sinners. He's going to have His presence manifested in His person as He sits on the throne of His glory in Jerusalem in the millennium. Right now, He wants... Listen. He wants to sit on the throne of our hearts in the glory that will be His in His kingdom. He wants His glory to shine out from us because His manifest presence is all on us because we have dethroned self and allowed Him to rule and reign in our hearts. And you know what? That is the way that Satan receives the facial from God right now. That's the way 
God has chosen to glorify Himself. Same way. Manifesting His presence. But the way that He does it now is in us. He's going to do it on the earth then. But the second thing that He wants to do is He wants to fill them, that is, rescued sinners, us, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. To give you a a, a biblical handle for it would be Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 where Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. You know what that is? That is the power of His glory. And right now, God wants to receive glory from us. Not just because His manifest presence is is all over us, but because we have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in us. And the question that we asked ourselves last week is, where are those kind of believers? Where are they? I mean, listen, y'all, and somehow, please let this get to be a passion in you. If that's the way that God wants to glorify His Son right now, is it happening? And we've got to ask ourselves, is it happening in us? Can you say this morning, the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of His glory shines in and through My life. That's what I'm all about. And can you say this morning, Oh, I know all about what Paul was talking about. Because I've come to the place to where I know Him. And the power of His resurrection. Now, basically, that's everything that we talked about last week. We just asked ourselves that question. Where are they? And are we in that number? And I tried to be honest with you last week to tell you, I, I wish that I could be asking you that question as there was this incredible manifest presence of God in my life and from the life of somebody that truly knows Him in the power of His resurrection. And I had to be honest with you and tell you, I'm, I'm not there. And I said that maybe it's because I'm not that makes me feel like, as a church, that's not where we are. And so, rather than us just coming along the Word of God and thinking that the goal is to get to the end of Revelation, and it's not. The goal is for the Word of God to get inside of us, and like we at least just sang, we said... God used this to change us. And so, now, all of you people who have the manifest presence of God in the fullness of His glory and you know Him in the power of His resurrection, why don't you go ahead and go out and pray for the rest of us in here. But if, if that's not you, why don't you just hang in here for the next three hours or so. All two of us will have a great time today. But the rest of us, let's, let's seriously 
approach this thing and say, God, if that's the way you want to be glorified, help me not to be an affront to you as a rescued sinner and not giving you the glory that you want to receive in the way that you want to receive it right now. And it's it's kind of a... I, I don't even know if I could retrace the steps to how you tell you how I got there. But I found a place in the Bible where there was a group of people that wanted, listen, that wanted to see God's glory put back in its rightful place. And as I went to this passage and I just began to watch what was taking place, it was just kind of incredible to see how many parallels I think there are and how many things that we can learn from this group of people that was seeking to bring that glory back to God in in His rightful rightful place. And this is a little subtitle, what I'm calling Life-Changing Lessons from a Sacred Box, a Holy Bump, and a Royal Thump. And in light of that, would you turn with me to the book of Second Samuel. The book of Second Samuel. Okay, now once, you, once you've gotten there, why don't you just put your eyes up here and let's just make sure that we're connecting and we understand what's actually taking place here. In, in the context of the book of First and Second Samuel, we're at a point in Israel's history. And make sure that you, you, you connect this so you can understand how we make the application. Okay? At this period of time in Israel's history, God's manifest presence was revealed on this planet in a sacred box. It probably was about the size of, of this, this pulpit. It was, and we've talked about it before, it, it was just a, an incredible box. It had two rings on each side of, of the thing, and it was to be carried by taking two, two sticks, if you will, two pieces of wood, and putting them through those rings. And then four men would get under those sticks, and they would transport this thing that is called, what? The Ark, or more formally, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now, now listen. In God's sovereign design, and of course God is a God who paints pictures, and what he's doing is he's painting you a picture. Okay? And what this box represents is God's manifest presence. God lives in this box. And this box is incredibly, incredibly powerful. The reason it's powerful is because God's in the box. Okay? It's His manifest presence. Okay? Now... The ark was designed to be in the very center of Israel's worship. 
Okay? It's, it's the equivalent now of God's manifest presence in the fullness of His glory in the very center of our lives. Okay? Now, in, we're in 2 Samuel. I want you to just hold your place there. We'll come there in just a second. Let, let, let me just show you something about this box back in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Again, we'll come back to, to 2 Samuel, but I, th- I think you need to, to see this. Now, because, you know, I know that it's kind of weird for us because we're Westerners and anything that has to do in that spiritual realm, we, it's nebulous to us. We have a hard time comprehending that. You know, especially we're talking about God's manifest presence and the fullness of His glory. We have a hard enough time understanding that in our lives, much less being in a box, okay? Now, in First Samuel chapter 4, and what's going on here in the earlier chapters, Eli is, is the priest, and Eli, bless his heart, is so backslidden, so cold and indifferent. He doesn't have a clue. He does not hear from the Lord. He's got the position, but man, he's got no connection. He's got two sons, and these guys, Hophni and Phinehas, these guys are a trip, man. I mean, and Eli's so disconnected, he doesn't even know what's going on in their world. And and in the midst of this time, the Philistines get the sacred box. They take it from the children of Israel. And in the midst of this, this battle that's going on, Phineas's wife is pregnant and just about to give birth, and that's where we come in chapter 4, and let's pick up in verse uh, 19. And his daughter-in-law, that's, that's Eli's, Phineas's wife, was with child near to be delivered. Listen. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, verse 20, and about the time of her death, the, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither, neither did she regard it. And she named the child, normally we pronounce it, I've pronounced it Ichabod all my life, according to the way that it's spelled out here. And I've got to say this because my English teacher from high school is here today. And so I've got to let her know that she did at least teach me to, to read this thing. It's actually Ichabod, but from here on out, it's going to be Ichabod, okay? <laughs> because that's the way that we all can, can relate to it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Now, the cool thing about the way that God has laid out His Word for us is He teaches us what He wants us to know about the original languages in our own language. This word Ichabod, it comes from two Hebrew words that it's real easy to figure out. Okay, one of them is I, okay, spelled I-Y, and the other is kabod, okay? This I means not, kabod means glory. Listen now, as you begin to see how the word kabod is translated in our English version of the Bible, it's translated glory. Honor, honorable, glorious, gloriously. Listen to this. 
heavy. What kabod is, is the weighty presence of God. God in the fullness of His glory. That's what was in the box. Kabod. The glory of God is over with the Philistines. Aeneas' wife has a baby and she hears that the ark has been taken and she hears that her husband croaked. The ladies come to her and say, Oh, that's cool. At least you got a baby. She names the baby. The glory has departed and not because of the fact that her husband died. It's because the box was gone. The manifest presence, the weighty presence of God in their midst was gone. And check it out. It stayed gone for 20, not days, not months, 20 years. The manifest presence of the fullness of God's glory, His weighty presence, if you will, gone from Israel for 20 years. And as David talked, we we don't have time to to go there. Two parallel passages, 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13. You know what it does? It tells the same exact story okay and what it tells you over in first chronicles chapter 13 don't go there okay just just listen what it tells you is that david comes to the throne and they've they've done battle with the philistines and they won and david says you know um far be it from me to cast stones at anybody but you know what the whole time that saul was the king for the last 20 years, nobody's thought anything about going and getting the sacred box out of the hand of those dirty, stinking Philistines. And I don't know about y'all, but I think we ought to go get it. What do you think? And all of the children of Israel said, Amen. Can you believe that, y'all? For 20 years, nobody even asked a question about the presence of God being in its rightful place. Twenty years. And the reason I'm making that point is I just got to wonder how long we would go going through the motions of our Christian life like a lot of us have been going for I don't know how long. Maybe the last six months, maybe the last year, maybe the last five years, maybe for some of you, maybe it's been 20 years. It can happen. You know what? Great place for it to happen. It's a place like this.
And that's, I think that's what we're going to see as we make it our way through this little story here in, in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Now let's go to, to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and, and let's talk about this, this thing that takes place as the children of Israel, out of the sincerity of their heart, seek to see God's glory restored to its rightful place by bringing this sacred box back into Jerusalem where God designed for it to be. Now watch this. And again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel. Now, 30,000. I mean, he's got quite a little church going here, all right? And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bailey of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and, you know what, there's a Ohio boy everywhere you look in the Bible. And they got this Ohio boy that's there. Okay, there's Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. In other words, they've got the box on this new cart, hallelujah, because this is for God. And they, they're, they're driving it in the sense of, you know, the oxen actually, you know, pulling the cart, you know. They're not actually doing this in terms of driving it. You know what they're doing? They're just as it's going along the way, they're, they're just making sure the, the box doesn't fall off. Okay? Cool guys. Especially like the Ohio boy. Okay? Uh, where are we? Oh, verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and cornets and on cymbals. You know what? Sounds a whole lot like what we did here just a few minutes ago. Okay? They got it all going on, man. This is, this is about as cool as it gets. Can you imagine? Twenty years without the sacred box and man here it comes it's coming back and everybody is jamming for jesus this is so cool he needs to be glorified you know and they're just going off it is a splash man i mean there this is some exciting times and when they came to nacon's threshing floor uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of god and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. Okay, so you, you got this deal. It's on this new cart because this is for God. And the, the oxen go over this little deal at the threshing floor. And so the ark starts a rocking. Okay, good thing they got Uzzah there. Because if Uzzah wasn't there, that ark, the ark that is the manifest presence of God and the fullness of His glory, going to fall to the ground. So it's a good thing they got Uzzah there. And the anger of the Lord, verse 7, was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. 
Okay? And, and this, again, if you want to know how, if God wants you to know what the Hebrew is all about, what he does is he defines it for you. Perez means breach, and Uzzah means Uzzah. It's the guy's name, okay? It's the breach of Uzzah. That's, that's exactly what, it, what it's, it, it means, okay? And David was afraid, verse 9, of the Lord that day and said, <laughs> How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Now, now I want you to check this out. You remember what the plan was? The plan was to restore the glory of God in His manifest presence and the fullness of His weighty glory. The plan was to restore it to its rightful place at the center of Israel's worship in Jerusalem. This little gig comes down the pike with Uzzah, and David says, I don't think we want this. And he sends it to Obed-Edom's house, and it stays there for three months. And all of that, I think, teaches us some key lessons that we better learn. Because you know what we are? We're that group of people right now. We're saying, God, we want to see your manifest presence restored in the fullness of your glory to its rightful place in us. Now, guys, this is quite a story. Unless we make some of the same mistakes, I think we better just see what God wants to teach us from this passage this, this morning. We want to look at, at several lessons that we need to learn lest we make some of the grave errors that Uzzah made, and no pun intended there. But lesson number one, sometimes we must acknowledge that the presence of God is missing and make a journey to retrieve it. Sometimes we must acknowledge that the presence of God is missing and make a journey to retrieve it. Now, again, we, we've already talked about this. For 20 years, the manifest presence of God was missing and nobody thought to say, Hey, what is up with this? Why doesn't somebody do something to get the presence of God back in this place? And what this shows us is the heart of David. David comes to the place to where he says, You know what, y'all? We cannot continue like this. David's the one that steps up to the plate. And he says, Hey, things need to change around here because something's missing. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because for us Laodiceans, should that be we? For those of us who are Laodiceans, it's a difficult thing for us to come to the place to where we would ever admit that we don't have the manifest presence of God in us. Well, Pastor Mark, speak for your own sorry self. 
Not me, baby. And the Scripture tells us that this would be characteristic of the people that live in the period of time that you and I live in and comprise the church. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, the seventh and last period of church history represented in that letter to the Laodiceans, they say, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Nothing's missing in my life, pal. Spiritually, I'm rich and increased with goods and I don't need diddly squat. You go ahead and preach your little sermon, baby, but it doesn't apply to me. Okay, for anybody in the room that thinks this doesn't apply to you, it applies to you probably more than anybody in the room. Because God says, you say that, and you don't know that you are wretched and miserable. And th these are his words. These are, I'm not preaching now. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, this is what he said. You are wretched and and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You think you see, you think you're rich. He says you don't even just have an eye problem. You're blind. It's not that you're rich, you're poor. It's not that you're clothed, you're naked. And he just goes through to say, hey, you lay out of sins, your problem is you can't admit what's true about you. You know who that is? sounds a whole lot like, y'all? Sounds a whole lot like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. You know who they were? They were the religious crowd. You know what? You don't have any problem going to the bars and the houses of prostitution on this planet and finding people that would be more than willing to admit their sorry state. But something happens to religious people who continue to live in a sorry state to where they can't ever admit that there's anything missing in their life and what this story teaches us and, and i know that this is i know that this this lesson is just so basic that i mean why do you even feel like you need to say that because of what the scripture says that we as laodiceans deal with we deal with being honest about where we are with god and guys sometimes in our Christian life, we've just got to come to the place to where we admit, you know what, this manifest presence of God thing that you're talking about, and this knowing God in the fullness of His glory and that resurrection power, I, that's, that's missing in my life. And you know what, if you could just acknowledge that today, you, you would make a great stride in the right direction, but it is just that it is just a stride because what we're talking about here is a journey if it's missing in your life chances are real good that in the next few minutes that we're going to spend together chances are real good you're probably not going to walk out of here with it today okay are you cool with that what that means though is not that we walk out of here and we go back into real life now, because this is what we do on Sundays. What this means is we need to, as a church and as individuals who comprise this church, we need to understand something's missing. And we need to begin a journey to retrieve the glory of God and put it in its rightful place. 
and, and we, we, we just touched on this just a little bit last week. The, the tabernacle, okay, and you see the ark was to be in the Holy of Holies. We've talked about the three parts of the tabernacle, and I really don't have time to, to develop that, that whole thing. I, I want to just make sure that, that we're connecting, okay? There's three parts of this thing, and the first part just of the tabernacle, when you enter into it, it's a place of cleansing. And it's just a picture of all of us as lost people coming to the cross of Jesus Christ and being cleansed of our sin. That's how we find entrance into the presence of God. And then coming through there, we come into this, this holy place. And in here is the seven-branch candlestick that is the light of God. And over here is the table of showbread, the... The word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And, and right here, just before the veil, is the altar of incense. Okay, And for most of us, okay, most of the people in this room, we've come to the place to where we've, we've entered, we've come to the cross, and we've had our sins dealt with, and we've entered into this arena to where the light of God has begun to shine on us, we go to His Word, and, and we're fed through the Word of God. We're in prayer, we, we, we come and we, we do the altar of incense thing. All of these things are happening. And what tends to happen to believers is in this arena, because of the light, and because of the Word, and because of prayer, and what goes on in all of that arena, what begins to happen to us is we begin to get satisfied out here. And listen, all of these things that we're talking about, the light of God, the Word of God, prayer to God, it's key stuff. Okay? I'm not minimizing that. But the presence of God is on the other side of the veil. And that's where He wants to meet us. When he died on the cross, what happened is they took that spear and jammed it in his side. Do you know what that flesh was of the Lord Jesus Christ? We talked about this in the last several weeks. In Matthew 17, the veil or the flesh of Jesus Christ was a veil that concealed the glory of God, because He is the glory of God. And what is so weird is here's all the religious crowd over there orchestrating the events so that the veil of His flesh is torn. And while on the other side of town, in the temple, you know what was happening? The veil was being ripped. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross... We find entrance into the sacred box, if you will. Into the manifest presence of God. That's what's available to us. And yet, what happens to us how did the pastor die? 
Well, the sound man had it rigged up there. They knew he was going to jump up there because he's a kook. And we get satisfied out here with all of these good things. They're cool, y'all. It's just not the manifest presence of God. And boy, you begin to go to the Word of God and you see the people that God used in an incredible way. And you know who they were, y'all? They were people who could not be satisfied with anything but the manifest, weighty presence of God. What about Moses? You know what? Moses comes up the mountain. I want to jump up there again, but I'm scared now. (laughs) Moses comes up to the mountain, man. And here is God in this flaming bush. And he, he sees God in that flaming bush. He hears the audible voice of God coming from that bush. Now, I'm just telling you, y'all. About this time, I'm like, take me now. This is about as good as it gets, you know. Beyond that, he comes, he comes down. And, and there is a, a cloud by day. There is the, the, the pillar of fire by night. He comes to the Red Sea and he watches God open this, this thing up. And man, just about in any one of those, man, I'm, I'm done. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And yet, and we looked at it last week in Exodus 33, Moses kept coming back up to that mountain. And you know what he was saying? In Exodus 33, he said, Oh God, this is all real cool! I'm begging you though. Show me your... Show me your glory. And you got it right. It's manifest in His face. Remember what God said? You don't even know what you're asking. Because no one can live and see it. But he couldn't be satisfied. Just with all of this real cool stuff out here, he had to see the glory of God. And it burned in him like a passion. What about Paul, man? Man, here here is a guy that is cruising down the road to Damascus, and he's thinking he's doing God a favor with what he's doing, and God, bam, puts him to the ground, and he sees the Shekinah, Glory of God on the Damascus Road. Now, I'm just telling you, if that had been my salvation, I would have just said, Wow, that is so cool. Go ahead and take me now, because it doesn't get any better than that. He levels him to the ground. He, he comes a little later to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and he talks about the fact that God had allowed him to be caught up into the third heaven. Listen, he said to behold things, the way that he put it, he said to behold things that would be against the law for me to tell you about. God wouldn't even permit him to tell him. 
this whole process of inspiration, Paul was used to write fully half of your New Testament, man. You understand what was shaken down through that whole deal? And yet, he never came to the place to where just kicking back in his Christian life. Off the heels of all of that, he comes to Philippians 3 and says, but what I really want, now that was all real cool, but I, what I really want, and I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. All of these things were real wonderful, but they didn't conform me to his death. And I know that's the only way I'll know the resurrection power of the risen Christ in my life. I just want to know that. David was another guy that just couldn't get satisfied with the things of God. He comes to Psalm 27, and why don't we go there? Psalm 27. And look at verse 4. He says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. What is it, Dave? What's that one thing that consumes you? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. Glory of the Lord, if you will, to inquire in His holy temple. And drop down to verse 8. David says, When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. You, you know what happens to Laodiceans? The Lord says, Seek my face, y'all! And our heart says, Thy hand, Lord, will I seek. I just want Your blessing. Listen, guys. The manifest presence of God is blessing. But you don't pursue the manifest presence of God because of blessing. You pursue the manifest presence of God because He's God. You seek Him because of who He is, not because of what He does. You seek Him because of who He is, not because of what He gives you, because you do this. And I'm telling you, there's just something in that layout of sea in mind that where we want the gifts of God, we just don't really want Him. And maybe that's why in Revelation 3 and verse 20, speaking to the Laodiceans, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm just waiting 
for somebody in your midst in that Laodicean church period to come to the place to where they would just realize, I'm not even there. I'm knocking. Any Laodiceans hearing? Nothing missing here. We got everything we need. I mean, we got worship, and man, we do expository preaching right here, and we got discipleship. What more could you ask for? How about uh, God? Over in Psalm 42. Dave says, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you see the pursuit of his heart? Oh God, I feel like a deer that has been running and running and running. I'm panting for you, oh God, like that deer pants for streams of water. Oh God, that's the way my insides feel. That's the way my soul is within me. I feel it panting after you, oh God. I'm seeking you, oh God. In Psalm 63, just cruise over there. Psalm 63. Oh God, thou art my God. And again, it's real easy for Laodiceans to be satisfied right there. As long as we know we're going to heaven when we croak, baby, then that's all we really are in for. The, we didn't want to go to hell anyway. Just want to go to heaven. God, you're my God. Cool. David says, early will I seek thee. You're not talking about in terms of Time. He's talking about in terms of passion. Early is the old English way of saying earnestly. Earnestly will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your blessing on my life. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You see what I'm talking about? It's so easy to get satisfied somewhere other than his glory as it is manifest in his presence on our life and, and knowing you, oh God, and what goes on in, in that holy box. And, and Psalm 143 and verse 6. Listen, I go there. I mean, we're that's close for crying or rain. Psalm 143. Verse 6. He says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee. As a thirsty land. What's up, Dave? You, you think that if you get your hands out there, you'll grab a hold of it and 
put it in there? Is that what you're talking about? Stretching forth your hands is what the cops say when they've got you cornered. Come out with your hands up! What is it? They want to check your deodorant? or What's the deal? I'm not holding on to anything. It's a position of surrender. And he says, oh, what's going on in my soul? It's such a passion in me. i got to just lift up my hands to say, oh, God, do something in my soul. It's thirsting. And, oh, God, do you see? there's nothing here. You know, and, and we yeah, uh, there, we diss out the you know group of people on this planet that, that do this uh, a lot. I I do got to tell you. I wish that the presence of God was so manifest in this place when we come together that you didn't know anybody else was in the room. And that maybe, just maybe, you would come to the place to where your soul was doing so much inside of you that you had to do something to say, God. Oh, well, now he's talking about getting charismatic. We figured. No. Just, you know what? We don't really want the presence of God, do we? Because we like it the way we got it. Our worship spirit isn't enough. And, and you know what? I don't care if you ever lift your stinking hands. I don't care. That's not... This, that's not I, I didn't even plan to get on this. I guess what I'm saying to you is... That ain't going to happen here, is it? Because we really don't want... To get that freaky with the presence of God. And you know what? Don't worry. He says, worship me in spirit and in... So, hey, 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 we ain't going to do anything freaky. But if you don't like the lifting the hands thing, you do need to check out what Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you know what? What I want is for people everywhere to lift holy hands to the Lord. Put that in your Baptist pipe and smoke it. He says in Psalm 84 and verse 2, just listen to it. He says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. And what I'm saying is there's sometimes in our life where we've just got to acknowledge that whatever was going on in Moses that said, I beg you, God, show me your glory. Whatever was going on in Paul that said, ah, this, all this stuff is great, but I just want to know you, God. Whatever it was that was going on in David, that in the midst of everything that David was able to experience, he just kept coming back and saying, oh God, something's burning in me. And I'm just saying, I think we're at a point where we need to acknowledge that's missing in the midst of everything we got going on in First Baptist Church. 
not just acknowledge it, but get ourselves on a spiritual journey to retrieve the glory of God so that it's put back in its rightful place in us and in this church. How many of these seven you want to do today? Could we just do one more? And we've got a plan, okay? There, there is a plan today. I'm just going to do one more, okay? We need to hit this before we go because you need to chew on this. You need to get this in your Baptist pipe also, okay? So that, that's lesson number one, and I realize that's real simple and probably... <laughs> It, it's a, it's it's a simple point. It's a lifetime of living it out. Okay. Lesson number two that we learn from what we saw in Second Samuel chapter six and see in First Corinthians or First Chronicles chapter thirteen. God never intended for His glory to bounce along on the back of man-made mechanisms and vehicles. And you gotta read you gotta read this one or two times to really understand what we're talking about here. But there is now, now listen, y'all, major point that we need to make in in this whole deal. Okay. Now, remember what we what we saw in the story. They're carrying this, this cart, and there is jubilant excitement that's going on. It's a, oh, it's a thing, man. And you know what? You've got to understand something. These people are as sincere as any people that have ever hit the globe. And you know what? They really do want the ark restored to its rightful place. They really want to give God the glory that is due His name. And you see, as they're bringing this ark back to its rightful place, how are we going to get that thing there? Well, how did we get it from the Philistines? You know how they got it from the Philistines? On a cart. And you know, that cart is pretty cool. You know the way they do that? I mean, you know, it's kind of the old-fashioned way to do this thing with, you know, the sticks on the poles. And, and you know what? I mean, if, I don't know if you've ever figured it out, but the manpower that we're wasting on this, you know, we've got four men. We can cut the, 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 the manpower on this thing. We can cut it in half. Just put, put it on a cart for crying in the rain. Use oxen to pull it. And just put one guy on each side to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Hey, sounds good. And listen, since it is for God, then let's don't give him a crummy cart. Let's give him a new one. God will like that, won't he? God's into new. God's into a new way to worship him. And so, yeah, let's, let's put it on that cart, Dave. Okay, yeah, that's, that's great. Okay, now, who are we going to get to stand on either side of it? Well, let's get that Ohio boy, because they're good. And let's do this, let, let's get, let's get Uzzah, because Uzzah, Uzzah's the man. We're going to talk a little later on in this message about what the name Uzzah means. But Uzzah, 
is the man. We need him there for sure. Absolutely. Now, and I didn't tell you this before. Some of you already know this, but for all you new believers, in Numbers chapter 4, God told them how to carry the ark. He wanted that thing hung on two pieces of wood. Maybe just a little picture of the fact that the glory of God was going to get hung on two pieces of wood several thousand years later. But he didn't want anybody touching it. Because you know what happened if you touch it? Go ax Uzzah. Because <laughs> Uzzah knows what happens when you mess with the ark of God. And so that that wouldn't happen, God says, now listen, the way that you carry my holy presence among you is on sticks. Put them through the rings so you don't have to touch it and get four men. And you transport that thing the way that I tell you to transport it. Well, but we're going to put that thing on a new cart. And it's just the point. God never intended for His glory to bounce along on the back of man-made mechanisms and vehicles. And you know what the Laodicean church age is characteristic for? Man-made mechanisms and vehicles. Since we don't have the presence of God, you know what we need to do? We need to do something to create the appearance of the presence of God among us. And so we sit in oval offices called the pastor's office, and we dream about ways to create the appearance of the presence of God because it ain't among us. Yeah. Tell all them churches about that, Pastor Mark. Because around here, the reason God's building this church is because we do expository preaching. And we've got spirited worship in this place. And we've got discipleship. And you know what everybody's missing out there? They're missing what we got. And, and you know what? We hold conferences that we call discipleship conferences. And, and men come here because, you know, they struggle to whatever, fill their building a lot of times. They, they struggle to get their people to be involved. They struggle to get their people back on Sunday night. And so they want to come and they want to find out, what are you guys doing here that is making this thing work? And so... What we tend to tell them is, listen, there's just some basic things that you can't get around. You've got to do expository preaching because that's the way that God left his book for us. He told us to preach the word. Okay, So, you know, you've got to have that. And listen, the Great Commission is make disciples. And, you know, we can show you, you know, a practical way to be able to do that. And, and you know what, probably ought to turn the corner in, in your singing. Worship's a cool thing, too. Listen, y'all. God is not building this church because we do expository preaching and because we have spirited worship and because we do discipleship. God is building this church and because He is, 
He graciously allowed us to see how he laid his book out, and so we do expository preaching. And he graciously brought some people to us to say, hey, you dummies, you, you need some help in figuring out what you're supposed to be doing every week? Let's make disciples. And so he graciously allowed that to happen. I'm just trying to tell you, the key ingredient around here is not expository preaching, spirited worship, or discipleship. Because in the final analysis, they're man-made mechanisms and vehicles. If you want God to build your church, get God. If we want God to continue to build His church in this place, we cannot think that discipleship is the key. God is the key. Expository preaching. As long as we're doing that, God will build His church. Nope. God was building churches long before the term was ever even used the first time. You go back to the Great Awakening, and I'm all for expository preaching. And you know what? I'm all for discipleship. I'm not dissing it. But you go back to the Great Awakening in this country, and you read the sermons that God used at that time, I'm, I'm telling you, I wouldn't preach them. I really wouldn't. It is not my style. I don't think it's the way that it ought to be approached. Who cares what I think? You know what those sermons had all over them? God in his manifest presence. And we can exposit God right out of his book. You believe that? Hello? I'm not, that was not a trick question. <laughs> it really wasn't, y'all. Now listen, well, Pastor Mark, are, are, you, are you waning on expository preaching and what we're doing in our worship and in discipleship? Not, not in the least. I'm just trying to tell you guys. The reason we're doing those things is because God was building His church. He's not building His church because we're doing the right things. And it's going to be real easy. Listen now. It's going to be real easy for the presence of God to fade to black in First Baptist Church and us not know it for a long period of time. Because week after week, we're going to exposit the Word of God. And week after week, we're going to stand and we're going to close our eyes and worship. And week after week, we're going to continue to challenge you to make disciples. And you're going to be holding the Word of God. And it's going to be real easy for us to continue to do all of those things. And not even realize what we're missing. Losing God in the midst of all of the things of God. come to the book of Isaiah chapter 1 I was going to take you there but just hang with me okay God says hey all your feast days all your sabbaths 
all your new moons and all this stuff that you do and you observe. You know what he said? And the thing that you got to understand now is all those things that he just mentioned, he commanded them to do. Are you hearing it? He says, and all this stuff that you're doing, that I've commanded you to do, he said, I can't stand it. He says, I can't, I can't away with it. It, it makes me sick. Well, God, I thought you commanded all those things. How could that make you sick? Because they were doing all of those things. And God wasn't anywhere to be found. Some of us can real easily get to the place to where we're observing all of the things that he said. manifest presence knowing him and the power of his resurrection is not there would you, would you seek to stay as still as you are right now we're right now on Sunday nights we're in the midst of what we call discipleship recertification. We're trying to breathe some new life on discipleship. You know what I, I think that God is trying to do here for today? I think what he's saying is, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to just interrupt your schedule of services if it would, if it would be okay. I mean, if you guys would grant me the privilege, I, I'd like to just maybe interrupt things. And tonight, now, you know what? It would be an easy week for me to just pick up here next Sunday. You know what I'm afraid of? 168 hours of the devil fighting what we're talking about right now. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a little breather this afternoon. And I want to ask every one of you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. And let's continue to learn the lessons that I think God's trying to say to First Baptist Church. And in light of that, we're not going to do flocks right now. What we're going to do, we're going to dismiss whatever you got to do this afternoon. Do it. Okay? If you don't have anything to do, humble your heart. And say, oh God, whatever was going on in that room this morning, oh God, thank you. Would you thank him? And saying, oh God, would you do it again tonight? Lest we take what God's trying to do and just let it go through our fingers. So Lord, I want to ask you, that you would help every one of us in charge of all of our schedules. And, and I'm just asking you to keep the enemy bound from the schedule of every person here so that we might be able to find our way back to this place 
And we are asking You, God, that this would not just be sermon material. We're asking You that Your manifest presence would be revealed in us and in this place. And would you right now just continue to talk to the Lord from your heart? Don't be distracted. Would you talk to Him about all of this? And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you know, I don't know if you'll come back tonight. I'd love to invite you to come back. But maybe your schedule won't allow it. And maybe God is so at work in your heart right now. Oh, I hope that He is. Because you see, no man, Jesus said, can come to Him unless the Father's drawing Him. And oh, I, I hope that God is in the midst of drawing you to Himself today. And if He is, I want to tell you how you can respond. Our pastors are going to be up on either, front, either side of the front of this room. And we invite you to, to come and find out today how you can come into a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will remove your sin and bring you into the relationship with Himself that you were created to have. And we would love the privilege of talking to you about that. And so listen, there is nothing more important than that, than you coming to that place. Your eternal destiny is on, on the line. And so... We're asking you, if God's speaking to you, will you respond to Him? If you came with someone, you know what? They will rejoice if God's working in you and you'd like to respond. They'll wait for you if you, if they came, if you came with them. We'd just love to give you the opportunity today to respond as the God of the universe seeks to draw you into the relationship with Himself that you were created to have. So, Lord, would you work in the hearts of those here today that don't know you? And, and Lord, thank you that we have been able to sense your presence among us today. And from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, we're grateful. And, Lord, we want to ask you to please stay. We want to ask that tonight when we meet back here, we would come anticipating coming into Your presence as we worship You. Coming into Your presence through the pages of Your book and, oh God, teach us, change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.